What's up, everybody? You're listening to the Marketing for the Uninhibited podcast. If you're ready to unleash your marketing potential and crush your small business goals, you're in the right place. I'm your host, Miranda Rodriguez. Over the past four and a half years, I've helped hundreds of small business owners achieve big dreams with small strategic marketing steps. When I say big dreams, I'm talking quitting that part-time job, five times in your income, or opening your first brick and mortar. On this podcast, I'll teach you how to market your business with laugh out loud personal stories, real life client examples, and the occasional F-bomb. Because let's be honest, Marketing your small business is so much more than just a marketing problem. Grab your earbuds and let me show you how marketing your business can be simple, doable, and fun. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Marketing for the Uninhibited podcast. I'm so happy you're here. I have missed talking to you all so much. I had to interrupt our guest series to bring you a solo episode. Also, I just have this idea in my head for a podcast for like a week now. And if I, I knew I was going to lose it if I didn't record it. So today we're going to get into two things. I'm going to lead into the lesson of the day with some backstory and some of talk about some of my work experience. And there is a purpose behind it. But really, what I want to do is just talk through one of the biggest marketing deal breakers I see in business. It is really one of my business pet peeves and I see it a lot and I think I understand why it happens, Um, but I just wanna talk through maybe circumventing the why a little bit, like if you find yourself in this position and then really talk through how it impacts your relationship with your target audience. But before we dive in, how is everyone doing today? What are you... Up to this time of year, happy fall. I was going to record this podcast on video, but I just turned it off because I find it to be very distracting. I should have flipped the phone around. Um, Two things I'm loving lately about podcasting. One, not recording video. And two, (laughs) not having an outline. So we're here to wing it for a little bit. But I promise there's a lesson in today's episode. So all right. How you doing? It's fall. It's the best it's the best month of the year. I'm not here for arguments, okay? It's just the best month of the year. My business birthday is today. Marketing for the Uninhibited turned 6. I it took me until 1:30 <laughs> in the afternoon to realize it. Um it is October 2nd if you're listening in real time. And then my birthday is on Sunday, October 8th. And I'm excited to do all the fall things this weekend with my friends and Um, We're going to go take the kids to a pumpkin patch and have dinner with my family. And so it's just the best time of year. We're going to decorate for Halloween, Um, maybe have a bonfire. I'm not sure, but I know that the weekend's looking good. Okay, enough chit-chat. Why are we here? So really today, I've had some experiences in the past few months um, that have led me to the conversation we're going to have. So before we begin that part, though, I want to back up a little bit. There's something I've realized I don't think I talk enough about, and that is my experience leading up to entrepreneurship. So now I've been doing this six years, which is the better part of a decade, which is wild. But I don't know if how many of you know what I did before I started marketing for the uninhibited. So as of... Monday, as of October, I think it was October 11th, 2010, 
I will have officially been in the workforce post-college for 13 years, which feels wild to say anytime I say it out loud because I find myself often, I'm human like the rest of you, comparing and despairing when it comes to others in my industry that may be making more income than me, who maybe have more followers than me. And I oftentimes interpret that to mean they must have more experience or more qualifications than I do. And what I realize when I start looking at the facts is they don't, they do not. And I was talking to a friend Um, I meet with my business bestie every Monday morning for an hour and we just check in for the week and we talk about what our goals are for the week, um, hold ourselves accountable for things. And she and I were talking. So we have very different stories of how we came to entrepreneurship. She dropped out of college. She started her business at that time. She has always been an entrepreneur in that sense, right? Like she, I think she had a couple little jobs out of college, um, kind of got her foot in the water, but really she has been called to be an entrepreneur for a very long time. And she's been doing that now for almost a decade. I, on the other hand, went to a business college um, of which I spent all four years in the College of Business, graduated from the College of Business with a degree in marketing. And that business college happens to be at a big big 12 university. And so they funnel people into corporate America. It is a fast track for, especially for finance and accounting, um, into corporate America. And so they would have job job fairs every quarter where you were to be looking for an internship for the summertime or just practicing promoting yourself or trying to get a full-time job. Um, And so I would say in a lot of ways, like I was groomed to be in corporate America. I have a family who um, either they're very blue collar or they have jobs. The few of them that have had, you know, longstanding jobs have been in, in corporate America, very corporate, right? Like the type of corporate where you don't show tattoos at work. You don't talk about your personal life. You certainly aren't befriending your coworkers on social media. Uh, maybe that's changed now, but so that is the track I was on. And coming out of college, I went into graduation knowing that I um, actually had accepted a job. So I (laughs) I had to stay back. Um, I still got to walk in college, but I had to stay back after we graduated to take economics, one of the levels of economics one more time because I had failed it. The only class I failed in college. Um, And so I had already graduated and I was in this summer school class with a bunch of freshmen, which was very humbling to say the least. And I already had a full-time job lined up at the time. So I graduated, technically I graduated in August, 2010. And then I started my full-time gig in October of that year. And just to give you an idea of where I was uh, mentally and emotionally at that time. So I got a full-time gig with a fortune 500 company. It was a sales job. And I was in charge of at the age of 23. So I turned 23 just a couple days before my first day of work. Um, I was in charge of a $1 million sales territory right here on the south side of Chicago. And with that role came a very nice salary, very nice commission structure, and my favorite perk of all, a company car. And so the weekend before I started my job was also my birthday weekend. The company car came 
delivered to me. And the only miles it had on it were the 600 miles it took to drive that vehicle from the lot in Arkansas to my front door, like to my literal front door. They pulled up at my mom's house to the front door. I don't know if you've ever had a car so new that it still had the tags on it, um, but that's how new this car was. And that arrived on a Friday, and that was the night we decided to go out and party. And let me tell you, we were partying a lot at that time. And at the end of the evening, that evening, I left the bar without my two front teeth. Okay? Um, I'm fine. We're good. It's been a very long time since this happened. Um, but that's the state I was in at that time. I was partying a lot. I was not taking good care of myself. There was not a lot of self-worth or respect happening. And here I was being put into this leadership role in a $1 million sales territory for the first time ever, managing anything of that size or managing people. And I was responsible for sales representatives, for recruiting them, for training them, for their business growth. And your girl had to drive her brand new car to the dentist. I mean, the first time I drove my car, that company car was to the dentist to get two temporary teeth put in. And that was the the weekend, <laughs> probably one of the only weekends of my whole life where I wasn't covered by insurance because my new job insurance didn't kick in until I actually started my job. So um, I had to pay out of pocket for that. And I didn't even have time to take the tags off. I just woke up, hung over and, and drove to the dentist. Um, so that's just a little background of like where I was mentally and emotionally. Okay. So why am I telling you this story? The reason why I'm telling you this is because at the age of 23, I was the youngest district sales manager in the nation. And I was having to attend all of these sales trainings with all of the other district sales managers and um, not only attend events, like big corporate conferences where they would fly you across the country and you would stay for a few nights and blah, blah, blah. But I was also responsible for hosting and putting on these events and these workshops for my district. So once a month, we would have a sales meeting um, and then weekly quarterly and sometimes even daily, I would be responsible for holding one-on-one -on -one training sessions, group training sessions, marketing meetings, product um, information meetings, all types of things. Um, and the company did a great job of providing us with all of the marketing collateral. So we had a Facebook page at the time. The rest of social media wasn't really relevant then. And they would give us PowerPoints and speaking notes and flyers and all types of things to use. And so I really got a foundation for what it takes to, to grow and run and succeed at a business of that size, because our territories were treated as our own businesses, like each district sales manager essentially was running their own business in their territory. Um, and so it was a, a let me tell you, trial by fire experience. When you talk about cutting your teeth or um, putting in your push-ups or doing your time, I think I often, and you may be able to relate the, to this too, I've, I position that like in entrepreneur time. Like I've only been an entrepreneur for six years, you know, and even at that point, six years, like there's nothing to shake a stick at. But I bring to this role so much more and... I see it with clients too. We downplay the experience and the fact that we had a whole life <laughs> 
before we started our businesses, right? Instead of letting that empower and inform and influence our businesses and the relationships we make and the confidence we have in the rooms that we go into, I find that sometimes it holds us back. Um, so, so after that, then I moved on and this is where things kind of started to come together for me in terms of like who I was and what my skill sets were as an individual. And I moved to Virginia Beach. Long story short, I ended up getting a job there where I was a half marketing department, half sales department again. And I reported to both the marketing director and the sales director. So the sales job is what I want to mention for a moment. So as part of this sales role in this retirement community, I had to become a real estate agent because they had a broker, a brokerage on site. So within the community, we could legally buy and sell and rent homes without having to bring in any outside real estate agents. People could if they wanted, but there was no need. So I became the listing, the sole listing agent for this retirement community. And the reason why I'm telling you this is because it took me until I was 25 really to understand like what one of my biggest gifts is as an individual, and that is the gift of communication and building trust with others. And in this role is really where I got to develop that skill and where I had for the first time my superiors in a professional environment pull me aside and highlight that skill set to me. So there was a point in time where... Um, I didn't share an office with the sales director, but we had a door in between us. And so she could overhear me on the calls. And so just to put this in perspective, so I was the sole listing agent. And when you're a listing agent in a retirement community, what that means is the retirees that come into the home, they're able to purchase the home there. Okay. So it has to be a cash purchase. They purchase the home and they live in that home paying monthly service fees for the amenities that are provided along with the home in the community until they're no longer able to care for themselves. Um, and so what that means is they either pass away or they move on to a higher level of care, assisted living, nursing facility, you name it. So as a listing agent in a retirement community, it's a sad job because most of the time I'm dealing with families, the families, the children of the elderly who can no longer care for themselves and may or may not be with us still, okay? And so as you can imagine, these children, they're stressed out, they are in, they've got kids, they've got careers, they're dealing with aging parents, which comes with a lot of emotions, and then if the parents had passed away and the property moved into an estate, now sometimes I'm dealing with attorneys, Um, so it just got very messy very quickly because I would oftentimes have to legally tell family members I was not able to speak to them because they weren't, they had no legal power in terms of the estate, right? So estates come with executors and executrixes and all of these things. Um, and so I, I really learned in that time. So I was dealing with at any given time between 60 and 70 home listings for sale. You can ask any real estate agent. Most of them are never going to see that amount of listings at any given time. And with each listing, I was oftentimes dealing with multiple points of communication. So the attorney, the executor, um, if the parent was still living and they had four children, you could have four kids calling you every single day wanting an update. Maybe the kids didn't talk. 
families get messy, especially during times like that. Um, and so as part of my role there, crisis management was one thing I learned, um, but really how to utilize the data. And I want to say to weaponize it, right? But in defense of my position, because they would call and scream at me. I mean, there was one time I, I hung up on someone um, and I told him he couldn't speak to me that way. And I hung up the phone. And so I, at any given time, was managing 70 listings, um, on average, $10 million in listings, and closing via negotiation, negotiating sales um, with the real estate agents in our office and outside of, $6.7 million in sales annually for my time there. These are averages, but annual averages. $10 million in listings, about 60 to 70 properties listed at a time multiple points of communication for each property, and then closing about $6.7 million in sales. Have you ever <laughs> in the history of this podcast heard me mention these types of numbers? Okay, probably not. And this all came out of a conversation I had with a friend over the weekend, my business bestie. Um, and so we both had this moment of like, what? Like, you did what? You know, and so early on in my career, and here I am running my own business, and sometimes I'm afraid to walk into rooms with other business owners because I think, what, that they're more qualified than me, that they're more experienced than me, but look at the data, look at the experience, okay? So this brings me to, so at that job, as part of the marketing team and the sales team, we did a lot of events there too. We hosted workshops, informative workshops. We hosted art shows, garden shows. We hosted events for the residents. We hosted events for new residents. We hosted events for prospective residents. I mean, so many events. And that's really where I learned the art of and the benefit of a really good marketing department and how many moving parts comprise a marketing department. So for all of you business owners who are out there running your own marketing departments, just know that in the in the corporate world, okay, in the quote real world, outside of entrepreneurship, they have several different people. So on staff at that retirement community, contracted, not, not full-time staff, but contracted, we had a graphic designer, a public relations specialist, a PR person. We had a copywriter. We had a photographer. We had a creative director. We had the marketing director. And then we had me, the marketing assistant. And so you're talking about all of these people to pull off marketing a community and a business of that size, which was multi-million dollars. And, and so that really informed two things. One, my love for marketing and that I was on the right career path. And two, my skill set and my gift of communication and building trust with others and being able to communicate and treat, see the same, the CEO and the, the maintenance man, which was literally my job. I had to be able to talk to both because I had to work with, with all of them in the role that I was in. Um, and so I grew up a lot there. I grew up a lot. I was invited into meetings and rooms and conversations and events that just gave me a lot of insight and a lot of skill set. So then after that, I went home. I moved home after four years there in that role. And that's when I got a job serving tables at a restaurant. And then um, somehow my resume got passed up to the owner of the restaurant. And long story short, I got hired to be the marketing director there. 
which was a very <laughs> glorified title for what I ultimately ended up doing, which was a lot of social media management. But again, having come from my role at the retirement community where I knew all the moving parts and all of the ins and outs of a marketing department, I was able to, even though I was a department of one, compartmentalize and organize tasks based on what I knew needed to be done for a brand of that size at the restaurant. Um, and it was during my time there that I decided to start this business. So you're talking at the time I started my business, I had seven years of marketing sales experience, primarily in events, event management, sales, and marketing and communications. Okay. And I think I forget that. And I, so I'm saying that because how many of you forget that? Because really the crux of the next part of this conversation we're going to have comes down to confidence and, and how do we establish and hold confidence when we are doing new things in our businesses, maybe for the first time that we haven't done maybe ever but certainly not in a long time or on our own without the support of the team or the company that was behind us at some point, okay? So take a moment here and tell me or remind yourself of the skill sets you have or you had that you still have, but that you brought into your business from your previous career, and maybe you didn't have a career before you started your business. Maybe you were a stay-at-home mom. But what skill sets? Let me tell you. You want a, you want a good project manager? Find a stay-at-home mom, okay? Someone who's managing the schedules, managing the pickups, managing the drop-offs, managing the meals and the meal times and the groceries. And yeah, get you a mom if you want a project manager. So I want you to list, just take a moment here and list the skills and the experience that you have whether or not you think it applies, that you brought into this new role of business owner, okay? So you can pause this and come back to it or just think about it. If you're listening on the go, maybe you're gonna send a voice note. Hey, send me a voice note on Instagram. Let me know what came up for you, right? Like these are selling points. These are unique selling, what is the word? <laughs> USPs, unique selling propositions, that is not the word. Why am I? But you know what I'm saying, okay? Um, these are your your unique selling points. Maybe that's what it is. Anyway, um, all right, so now let's shift gears, okay? So you have my background, you have your background, and now we're gonna get into my business pet peeve. So as an entrepreneur, I've put on so many events in my career. I have, as just an, a business owner, I've hosted workshops, I've given presentations on and offline. I've hosted workshops with local community colleges. I've presented in college classrooms. I have hosted my own workshops. I've been invited to guest host workshops. And here's what I've learned. If you want your workshop or your in-person event to be successful and you want your people to walk away from there like, hell yeah, that was a good time. And you want them to talk about it and you want them to tell their friends about it and you want them to come again and bring another friend the next time, you have got to take ownership of every aspect of that workshop. I am, as a consumer and as a business owner, so tired of seeing people think they can half-ass an event and that just their level of care, quotations, or intention, in quotations, 
is going to be enough to get this event off the ground. Not realizing the the lift requirement, the load of the lift of standing an event up like that. Now, some of you here, you're professionals with events, okay? You've done it. You've done, done dozens of them. You figured it out what works. And this is not to knock any of you, but this is to put a spotlight on when we're feeling, when we lack confidence, what happens in a situation like hosting an event or a workshop is we tend to shy away. We tend to step back. You know, when you're younger and you think like, I I had someone tell me this once when I was growing up because, you know, I would say, you know, you just, you're like, oh, I don't care. I don't care. It's like something, I don't know, maybe it was just me, but teenagers, well, I know some of my sisters did this too, but like not caring, it's like cool to not care when you're younger. That's like the cool thing because if you care, now you're vulnerable, right? And I did not want to be vulnerable, definitely not for like from 16 to 30. Okay. I was not going to be vulnerable and I'm still in therapy working on it. So, you know, I really, I, I gave off this not care attitude. This really, it was a fuck it attitude. Like, yeah, whatever. Fuck it. Let's just do it. Um, but that doesn't get you anywhere. And what I realized along the way was like, I actually care a lot. And so that attitude is more of a defense mechanism for me. It puts distance in between what I want and me. And it, it gets me off the hook. It, it puts me, it allows me to not be in control. It's like, well, I don't care. Whatever happens, happens. And then if you don't care and it flops, well, then you don't care, right? Well, I didn't do it. I didn't care about it. But if you care and it fails, you're on the hook. You're on the hook. And this is what I want you to realize. It is okay to care and to give your all and to be on the hook for something even when it fails. It is better to care and for it to fail than to half-ass it or not care and it still fail, okay? Because your people, your audience feels it. If you care or not, they feel it. If you're showing up or not, they feel it. If you have confidence or not, they feel it. And I'm not just talking about a little jitters, right? I'm talking about straight up, you're hosting an event, you've invited someone to guest speak, and before you give the introduction for the speaker, you say, you know what? I don't really like to do this. I don't really, like you tell the audience that. This has been an experience of mine. I've been invited to guest speak and the person who was hosting the event was supposed to introduce me and she stood up and what she said was, I don't, I don't really like to get, in, get up in front of people. And I thought, my gosh, you're admitting this to your audience? Like these people are here. They showed up. They showed up. Why aren't you showing up? Okay, so this is how I interpret these things. When it comes down to lack of ownership, especially in an event setting, in a workshop setting, even with the content you create, what is the purpose of the content you're creating? If you want people to show up for you, then you have to show up. And if you don't care, then don't be surprised when they don't care either. It is grinds my gears to no end to see, I I know, I see so many of business owners and entrepreneurs out there like 
hustling and going after it and showing up and failing and trying and going again and pivoting. But for those of you who are having moments of, I don't know if this is for me, I don't know if I want to continue doing this, I don't know if I care about it anymore, just stop it then. Just stop. Stop whatever it is that you're half-assing and you don't care about. Introduce something new. Find something that lights you up. Make a change that you that gets you excited again. Like I just told you in the beginning of this podcast, I am loving not recording these for social media clips and not having an outline, okay? Because the minute you stop caring is the minute that you stop fully showing up is the minute your audience will too. And it's, honestly, it's embarrassing if you're invited to be a guest speaker to someone, to something, and you're taking it more seriously than the person putting on the event. Like that makes nobody look good because now my name is associated with something like that. And if I was the actual host of the event, it would never have been run like that, right? Because that's what happened. People thought, hey, what's going on here? I'm confused. Who's the host? Who's doing this type of thing? And let me tell you, if I was the host, you would know. And that's what I want you to take away from this. I want your people to know if you're hosting an event, if you're hosting a workshop, if you're putting something on, I want them to know what to expect from you. How do you show up? What can they expect, right? What's the takeaway going to be? Oh, it's going to be fun. Like I had someone, I, I had a workshop just the other week um, I put on and I had a woman there who has been <laughs> to, I want to say like four of these workshops that I've hosted in the past. And I, you know, I didn't ask her to come. She just messaged me and said she was going to come. And I was like, oh yeah, awesome. You know, and I, I, Every time she comes to one, I'm like, hey, just so you know, it's pretty much the same presentation. You're welcome to come. I would love to have you there. I'm not sure how helpful it's going to be for you at this point. Um, and she came and she told me, and she told me and the rest of the room at the end of that presentation how she has come to so many of these presentations of mine. And every single time she walks away with some something new. And every single time she walks away inspired. And every single time she... She Oh, and she also was talking about how it's informed some growth in her business and stuff like that. So you just never know. And so in my mind, I'm thinking, well, gosh, how am I going to, how am I going to make an impact on her? She's been around so much. And the, do you know how I made an impact? The same way I always make an impact by showing up, giving 110%, being myself and holding space for my people and doing what I do best, which is educate and communicate and teach and facilitate and they were all so impressed and I was so nervous going into it because I thought the content was going to be, it was marketing 101 content. They're all established business owners that I knew had RSVP'd and I thought, oh my gosh, this is, this is going to be like, this is going to be too new for them. It's going to be too basic. Like they're all leagues ahead of it. And None of them had that. They were all taking notes. They were all asking questions. They were all participating. I mean, it was amazing. And so if you're having that moment of doubt, I just want you to take a second and remind yourself of when you've had the moment of doubt before, when you moved through it and showed up anyway, and how you still delivered an impact, okay? It's because you show up. It's not about the content. It's not about what you're actually doing. It's about the energy behind 
showing up. And so this is something else I want to hammer home. If it is the night before an event and you don't have a single person registered for your event, I don't give a shit. I want you to show up anyway. Show up. Show up. Do not call it off. And I had a conversation recently like this where people weren't registering the event and the person I was speaking with was like, you know, you don't have to waste your time coming tomorrow. No one's RSVP'd, blah, blah, blah. And I said, no, I'm planning to be there. I'm ready. I, I'm printing out the handouts in the morning. I prepared my presentation today. I always show up. Even if no one's registered, you never know who may come who's not going to register beforehand, right? Maybe they're waiting to see if they can get a sitter or if, you know, you know, there's so many little last minute schedule things where you're like, well, I don't want to commit and cancel, but if I can make it, I'm going to pop in. And lo and behold, we had almost 10 people, 10 people. Can you imagine if I had listened to that advice and I had said, yeah, cool, fuck it. I'm not going to go. I'd rather have that time back on my calendar. Screw it. I spent an hour updating the presentation. No problem. I'll use it for something else. I'll get the time back. It's not my event, right? Imagine 10 people showing up and, and the pre presenter not being there. How does that make you feel as a consumer? You show up even if you don't know if they're going to show up because then they can count on you. That builds trust. It's like with children, right? You show up for them because it builds trust. You show up even if they don't, they tell you, oh, I don't want you here. And they're like a moody teenager. You show up because you love them. Or like I heard a comedian the other day and he was talking about his son who's like seven. And, you know, the dad was like telling them good night at bedtime his kids and his son was like, oh, you're always saying I love you. Why are you always saying it? Stop saying it. And, you know, the dad was like, well, I say it all the time because it's true, because I do love you. And no, I'm not going to stop saying it. Right. And that's like those annoyances to your kids where it's like, oh, gosh, mom, stop kissing me. Or, you know, like, I don't want to hold your hand walking up to the thing. It's like, but those displays of affection whether it's physical or however you communicate, you know, like I wrote Rebel a, a note in her lunch today. Um, they mean so much to them, whether or not they tell you they do. They feel it. There's an impact there. And that's how I want you to think about that relationship with your audience. They're always watching. Whether or not you think they are, they are. And you don't ever want to be in a position where they care about your business more than you. And another because it, it's when you don't show up and you don't care and you don't take ownership of the things you're doing, and this goes for pricing, this goes for sales conversations, this goes for preparedness and wholesale meetings, or when you're pitching yourself to be on podcasts or collaborating with others, right? You want, like, if you don't show up and you don't take ownership of your role in whatever the setting may be, you are giving away your power. Why would you give that away to somebody else? It's because people don't like the responsibility of it. Because if you're in control and it doesn't succeed, you're the driver in the driver's seat, right? But no problem. That's what happens. Sometimes it doesn't work. Do you know how many times I've tried to run a group offer 
in the history of my business? A lot. Do you know how many times I actually have successfully run one? Zero. (laughs) Because it didn't, it just didn't go. It didn't go. And it doesn't mean anything about me. And it doesn't mean anything about my audience, right? There are so many factors that go into this. And so you just try again and you make a little tweak and you and you show up differently or you try sale, different sales tactics or whatever. It's just a notch on the belt because when you give away your power, you're not in charge of your successes either. So if you're not in charge of your failures, you're not in charge of your successes. You can't own one without owning the other. And that's what I want you to see. And that's what I want you to feel that it is so important because you have so much power and you have so much control as a business owner. And I know sometimes that's daunting and it's scary and it's exhausting, but it's also empowering and exhilarating and encouraging to know that like, okay, this didn't go cool. We're going to tweak it and we're going to move on or we're going to scrap it, right? There's like, and I, so many people talk about this in so many different ways, but my thing is at the end of the day, if you are giving away your power, you're deferring your duties in whatever your role is in the business relationship or in life in general, you are, someone has to pick up that responsibility, right? Like if you're co-hosting an event and you're like, nah, don't care. You don't have to come, whatever, blah, blah, blah. The other host, if they don't have that same attitude, if that's not aligned with their work ethics, is now going to pick up that load and say, okay, well, I'll still promote it. I'll still be prepared. I'll still do my job, right? It's like when you work in groups in school and there's one person who doesn't do their part, but that part still has to get done for the presentation. Someone has to do it. And so when you're giving away your power, you're also giving away responsibility. And this isn't always in a a peer relationship. Sometimes this is business to consumer. So if you're confused about your pricing or you're confused about your customer journey or how best they get in touch with you or what they do next, or if you're negotiating a wholesale contract or you have a new wholesale buyer and they're like, what are the rates? And you're like, well, I don't know. For these people, I've done this. And for this, I've done this. You're putting that responsibility for figuring out your pricing on that person. It is not your customer's responsibility to figure out your pricing or your customer journey, your funnel, what to do next, where to go next, how to shop with you to make sure the links work. I have clicked on links as a consumer that didn't work. And, and, you know, and I have told people plenty of times like, hey, this link didn't work or I just got an email the other day um, and the time, the day was wrong. Like they said Tuesday the 19th, but it was really Thursday the 19th or something. And, you know, I let them know, but sometimes I don't because guess what? It's not my job. It's not my job to check your links. It's yours or it's a member of your organizations. Now, do mistakes happen and we all send out wrong links or broken links or whatever? Yeah, it happens. But It's not your consumer's job to tell you, to give you the feedback, okay? So just be aware of where you are not fully in your power and whether or not that power is infringing upon someone else's time, money, or energy. Are you, is your lack of ownership of something causing someone else to have more work? And I just want to end it with this. So at Marshall's job, you know, he manages a team 
Um, and he manages the sales team. They're all commissioned. They're all sales. And they have a phrase at work. It's called <clears throat> giving me your monkey. And so what they say is, you know, so like, let's say Marshall's going to the back to get an order and someone else, one of its coworkers will say, oh, while you're back there, could you get my order for my customer too? And they, they're not selling like small things, right? They're selling huge tiles, heavy tiles. And, and so in that case, that would be like deferring responsibility, like giving the, the other employees, giving Marshall his monkey saying, here, take my monkey off my back, take my responsibility off my back and let me give it to you. Um, because you're already like halfway there, right? So be aware of where you're giving other people your monkeys. Is it? And and the other thing they'll say, like um, in a conversation, you know, whatever, they'll say, not my monkey, not my monkey. And not in a like disassociative type of way, not in a, a negative type of way, like we're not going to be all on the same team here, like not in that competitive level way, but really trying to get people to fully own and complete their own tasks. And so I just want you to think about the next time you're in a circumstance like hosting a workshop, I events were the trigger for me here. So that's why I keep going back to them. But I want you to think about where you're, giving away your monkey to someone else. So over the weekend, I was running a, a final sales promotion for some fourth quarter um, former clients. And I realized, well, I had a client send me an email, a former client, and she was like, hey, um, where, where are the details for this promotion? I don't see them listed in the email and I don't see anywhere saying to click here. And I had hyperlinked the details at the bottom of the email like I listed the title of the the services and then a quick blurb about them and hyperlinked it. Um, but she, you know, unless you knew that like, unless you clicked on it and saw that it was a link, I didn't explicitly say click here for a link to more details, right? Um, and so that in that instance, I caused her more work because I wasn't thorough, I wasn't clear enough. And, and that's on me. And so like I gave her my monkey like my monkey was to explain the offer and what to do next if they were interested. Hers was to decide whether or not she was going to purchase it. In that situation, I gave her my monkey by saying like, <laughs> it's like hide and seek, figure it out, you know, but that, and so anyway, I sent her a screenshot of what she needed and I got it to her right away. Um, but that's what I'm talking about. Those situations like that. And sometimes it's unintentional, okay? Sometimes it is it is gonna happen. I don't want you to beat yourself up about it. If it has happened, we've all done it. I've done it. I just gave you an example, but I've got loads more where that came from. Um, but to me, what that signifies when I am a consumer and I see that in a business owner, well, and as a, my role as a marketing coach and consultant, it signifies a lack of confidence. And it signifies, like, if you're telling me you don't care about something, either you really don't care and maybe that's because you're burned out or you've got some personal stuff going on or whatever, but then you need to question whether or not you should really be in, in the role that you've put yourself in. Um, or you care too much and you don't want to let on that you care that much because you're afraid of getting hurt. And, and if that's the case, you are in the right place, but you just need to take full ownership of, of what it is you're, you're doing and then know that the results don't mean anything about you right? Win, lose, or draw. You did it. 
And then you have the opportunity to pivot from there. So <laughs> this is the longest personal episode I've recorded in a long time. Um, I hope you find it helpful. Thank you so much for listening if you made it all the way to the end. But after 13 years of being in sales and marketing and working in events and watching how different people, different professionals perform in different ways when it comes to speaking and engaging and events. Like part of this too is knowing your skill set and knowing what you're good at and knowing what you don't want to do anymore. And so if you're not caring because you don't want to do it, then don't do it. Especially if you're a business owner, like don't do it. Find another way to, to make up that income because we are at this point in our careers We don't have to do the things we don't want to do anymore. Like you don't have to cut your teeth or put in the work or do the push-ups. Like you done did it. Okay. You did it. (laughs) I don't think anyone here is like fresh out of college listening to this. And if you are, then you you have some time to put it. But for the rest of us, you know, you earned your place. You are here. And and so let go of this idea that it has to be hard. That has to be so hard, right? You're gonna have hard days, but all right, I could rant about this forever. So I'm gonna I'm gonna hang it up now. But thanks so much for being here. For being here, let me know what you think of this episode. If you had any takeaways, if you want to send me a voice note and let me know what your skills are that you bring to this job before, or your, you know the skills you brought to entrepreneurship before you were an entrepreneur. Like I'm here for it all. Always, always here for the messages. And I appreciate those of you that. Let me know what your takeaways are and that you're listening. And um, yeah, I just appreciate you so much. Happy birthday to Marketing for the Uninhibited. See you next week. Hey friends, thank you so much for listening to another episode. If you loved what you heard today, take a screenshot of this episode and share it with your community on Instagram. Be sure to tag me at Marketing Uninhibited so I can share you with my community. And don't forget that you can achieve your big business dreams with small marketing steps. Talk to you next week.